Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, everyone, and welcome to DevRaga Personal Finance, Episode 74. And in this episode, I thought we'll discuss about socially responsible investing. It's a very hot topic and sometimes controversial, and it's becoming more and more relevant in the personal finance and investing world. Now, shout out to Facebook members James and Gil, who um, suggested this topic. So thank you very much for topic suggestions. If you have any other further topic suggestions uh, for anyone out there, don't hesitate to contact me via Facebook. For those of you that are new to the channel, the aim is to educate. Educate yourself about personal finances. We spend so much time working very hard for our money, and we spend so much time researching on products and services that we would buy. I think it's time that we spent just a little bit of time every day or every week to learn about personal finances. The other aim is to empower, empower you with knowledge so that you can use that knowledge when you go and speak to your accountant, your lawyer, your estate planner, your um, financial planner or financial advisor so that you can have some knowledge and empowerment in order to talk with the same level of expertise or at least at a level that you understand. And the third most important aim is to entertain. It's really important to make sure that you um, you know, feel entertained during the podcast. So those are the three E's of my podcast channel. Now, just a disclaimer, I'm not a financial advisor, I'm not an accountant, nor am I a lawyer or a financial planner. Make sure you take any financial decisions you want to make um, to your appropriate advisors before you make any decisions after listening to any of these episodes. Now, if you're stuck on what to do, here are some basic simple principles to get you in the right track when it comes to saving, investing, and personal finance in general. In my humble view, there are five easy steps which anybody could follow, and here they are. Step one, pay yourself first. 20% of after-tax income, make sure you take it and put it aside. That is your money. Step two, invest that money, ideally something into that you understand or want to understand. I just invest in index funds, as pretty much everyone knows. Step three, reinvest dividends. Make sure that you don't cash out the dividends. And I'll talk about this in this episode just slightly before we get on to the main topic. The power of compounding is real. Step four, do it for the long term. Don't invest for five, 10 or even 15 years. My baseline is 20, 30 or 40 plus years if possible. And step five, my favorite, always try and automate the investment forever. This way, it's less likely that you're going to make a mistake, less likely that you're going to forget, and the investing just keeps happening over the long term in the background when you are enjoying life. Now, if you did that, you're going to end up with more money than you probably ever need, and money is just a tool, remember, and it doesn't bring happiness. So use it as a tool to make your life as best as possible, but more importantly, the people around you make their lives better. 
Before we get on to the main topic, I have had a couple of listeners recently asking me about what happens when I retire and when I sell my investment. Wouldn't I have to pay capital gains tax on the investments on the profits because over time we are in it to make money? The answer is yes. But my return question is, why would you ever sell the investments in the first place? Now, the point of investing is when you retire, you will receive income via dividends. The dividends will have a franking credit attached to them, hopefully. And especially if you invest in the share market or index funds. Now, the dividends are like a salary. You can live off them and live off those dividends without having to touch the principal. This is what I intend to do, and this is my strategy, and I think it's a strategy to be employed if you want to live comfortably. Then this begs the question, how much of a portfolio will you need in order to live off your dividends long term? Now, I use the 4% dividend as an average income produced by my portfolio. This has been historically accurate over the last 10 to 11 years of my investing life. So historically, this has been the case for myself. I need to look at your portfolio to try and work out what sort of dividends you're achieving. And if you're more conservative, you can probably plan for a 3% dividend rule. So think about a retirement income which you could live on. So, for example, if you wanted to live on $50,000 per year in retirement income, the calculation for a 4% dividend rule just becomes 50000 divided by 0.04, in which case you'll need $1.25 million in asset portfolio if it generates a 4% dividend rate perpetually. Now, if 3% is used, then the formula just becomes $50,000 divided by 0.03, so you would need $1.66 million in asset portfolio for perpetual 3% dividend income generation in your retirement. I hope this answers the question and clarifies the reason why living off the dividend income is one strategy for retirement. I never intend to sell any of my investments ever. I never have, and hopefully I never will, even during this COVID times. I hope to live off the income it generates in perpetuity. Now, Kevin O'Leary, if you watch Shark Tank, which is a great uh, American series, is one of the investors, and he talks about the importance of dividend investing. So why are dividends important? Historically, in the Australian stock market, dividends have contributed to the majority of the returns of the stock market. Let's look at the example here below. Now, if you look at the prices alone in the ASX 200, between November 2007 and March 2019, the market closed 10% below the pre-GFC high. Comparing this to the GFC closing low, the market was up 96%. That's pretty impressive. And that's if you just look at the prices alone. Now, let's take into account if dividends were reinvested. The market closed during the same period 50% higher than its pre-GFC high, but when you compare it to the GFC low, the total return, that is dividends included and capital appreciation, was a staggering 205% above the GFC low. So if you just look at prices, we're up by 96% from the GFC low up to March 2019. If you took dividends into account, we're up 205%. That's why I say always reinvest dividends. Do not cash them out. Now, the other benefits of dividends. Number one, fully franked dividend of 4% is actually worth up to 5.71%. Why is this? 
This is due to the unique laws in Australia called franking credits offered because companies having already paid tax on the franked dividend. The company tax rate is 30%. So to avoid double taxation, a credit is applied to your tax liability. I've discussed this in depth about um, dividends and distributions in episode 31 and episode 65. So flashback to these episodes if you want to learn more about dividends in general. Now, number two, reinvesting dividends automatically compounds over the long term. The dividends reinvested buy more shares or units, and those shares produce more dividends, and the cycle is repeated. Number three, dividends are great volatility cushions. For example, April 1st this year, despite all the market volatility due to COVID, I still got paid dividends in my Vanguard portfolio and they automatically got reinvested into the ASX 300 fund. I didn't have to do anything. It happened just like magic. Basically, I just got paid dividends as a reward for reinvesting into the Australian stock market, which is comprising of the top 300 Australian companies. Simple, easy, effective, and it's automatic. Make sure you take dividend reinvestment when you invest with any share portfolio. Number four, dividends are the other side of the market returns. This is a great way to remind yourself not to react to volatile markets because of the cash flow generated from your investments. Why sell the golden goose, which is laying golden eggs perpetually? And finally, number five, dividends are the icing on the cake and make you understand the importance of focusing on the total return in the stock market. Don't just focus on the dividends, but don't ignore them either. Now, when I talk about dividends, I'm mainly talking about stock markets, but really it applies to any investment. When you have property portfolio, they are producing dividends in the form of rental return. So when I say dividends, I'm talking about investing where it produces capital appreciation, but it also produces income. So when you invest in a property portfolio, it is producing income. So really, what you should be doing is, in addition to paying off the investment home loans, you should be reinvesting those rental income back into the property mortgage so that it just reduces debt as quickly as you possibly can. Now, of course, if you have non-deductible debt, it makes sense to pay off non-deductible debt faster and first before you pay off deductible debt for obvious reasons for taxation. Now, to the main topic. Hopefully that clarifies dividends and why I don't invest um, just for capital appreciation and why I would never sell my investments. Now, socially responsible investing, it's a very hot topic. It's very, very 21st century and it's becoming more and more important for investors. I've had quite a few questions about this and thank you again to Gil and James for asking about this specific topic. Now, first of all, socially responsible investing is not the same as ethical investing. That is a bit of a surprise. I actually didn't know that myself. I had to look it up. I thought both were used synonymously. I thought both were the same. Um, it kind of is, but it isn't. Um, technically, actually, it isn't. So there is a very, very fine difference. Number one, socially responsible investing or SRI. This is an investment that is considered socially responsible due to the nature of the business they conduct. Ethical investing, on the other hand, is more to do with an individual's personal and moral beliefs. This is much more to do with one's own worldview and is much more personalized. Often the two are used interchangeably, but technically they're different concepts altogether. So let's first talk about SRI. 
The aim here is to choose the invest in companies that have positive social impacts. This is because more, sorry, this is becoming more and more common, a more of a millennial trend where younger generation people think about how their investing impacts society in general. Socially responsible investments still are based on financial results. For example, it doesn't guarantee a positive financial return. In fact, some socially responsible investments um, can have a negative impact. And part of socially responsible investment could be something called community investing. For example, the return is measured in terms of community impact rather than monetary gain alone. Now, socially responsible investments tend to go along with the social causes and political environments of the day. Let us use some examples to highlight how socially responsible investing has existed for many decades, but has come to the forefront in the 21st century. Number one, in the 60s, the civil rights movement was widespread in America. Martin Luther King Jr. prominently raised awareness for the civil rights movement, and this led to a targeting of companies which were not in favour of women's rights, civil rights, and anti-war movement. Similarly, this tended to happen even in Australia. Australia has a very dark colonial history with its treatment of Indigenous Australians and people of colour in general. Remember, it only officially ended in 1975-76, the White Australia policy, after successful governments slowly dismantled it starting in 1949. It started in 1901 as the Immigration Restriction Act. Companies that supported such policies were slowly being disbanded or lost customers overall. So socially responsible investing has existed for a very long time, but it's probably been categorised or has a name more in the 21st century than ever before. More recently in the 21st century, when marriage equality became law on the 9th of December 2017 in Australia, businesses had to adapt to this. In fact, Australian businesses over time have adapted to marriage equality long before marriage equality actually became law. And perhaps the biggest domain of socially responsible investing is climate change. Investors can shun companies that don't support climate change or are not carbon neutral or have plans or policies in place in order to reduce the carbon footprint of the organisation. Major tech companies have long been carbon neutral. We hear about it. Facebook, Google, Apple, they're all installing solar panels and trying to be carbon neutral because it is the in thing and it has huge implications for the environment. I mean, the amount of energy that Google uses for its data centers must be immense. So they're really looking at trying to reduce their environmental footprint to try and reduce the impact on the environment as a result of the energy use. So a lot of these companies are investing big money into try to be as carbon neutral as possible. And that seems to be the biggest thing that people worry about when they do investments. Now, um, investing in coal companies or nuclear energy companies are generally frowned upon by the socially responsible investing group. Um, and they consider themselves to be bad investments when it comes to the environment. Now, the other main topic when it comes to socially responsible investing is having more women in positions of power, whether it be government, private corporations, etc. And there are companies which have set quotas or policies in place to ensure there is equal opportunity employment at higher levels. So more women are positioned in boardrooms, CEO roles and MD roles. So there are mutual funds um, and ETFs 
which are comprising of companies which are socially responsible. Um, so you can actually find out where there are. In fact, there are actually plenty of local and global ETFs and index funds which only house companies which have socially responsible business practices. And um, I guess when you are looking at this topic, you need to have a structure in order to screen for potentially socially responsible investments. So is there a structure used to screen for potentially socially responsible investments? And the answer is yes. So the structure is called ESG, Environmental, Social and Governance Criteria. So let's look at it in detail. And when it comes to environmental factors, okay, so you might want to look at things like company's energy use. Where does it come from? The company's waste policy, the pollution generating activities, for example, coal companies and mining companies that generate a lot of pollution. Do they conserve natural resources and how they treat wildlife in general? If you have a look at the latest saga in Tasmania, the Tasmanian logging companies are an example of how logging can destroy forests and therefore its wildlife. This can also help determine to investors if the company poses a liability. For example, due to poor disposal of hazardous waste, is the company breaching regulations, therefore opening itself up to breaching government environmental regulations, and therefore, if you're going to be investing in such companies, you're potentially going to lose your capital. So, environmental factors is a very, very important thing to consider if you're into socially responsible investing. The second thing is social criteria. So, does it work with suppliers which has the same values as the business? Does the company have a community impact statement or policy? For example, credit unions and some banks in Australia are solely owned and operated by members of their community for the sole benefit of the community. So that's a great example of a business that has a really great socially uh, responsible in, uh, in a business style, which, which might be your thing. Does the company have an employee volunteering program? Does the company value its employees' health and safety? Are the stakeholders' interests taken into account? Uh, we discussed about equal opportunity policy, particularly when it comes to women, minorities, and socially disadvantaged people, and people with disabilities. These are all questions that you might want to consider uh, if, you're, if you're thinking about the social criteria uh, when it comes to investing in businesses uh, that you consider to be socially responsible. And the last thing is of the ESG criteria is governance. Now, is the accounting methods transparent? Do the shareholders have a say on important issues? And most importantly, in my view, is there any political contributions? How does that work? Is there favoritism and risk of illegal practices? We know that big corporations have major political links and um, you know, depending on which side of politics you want to play, you might want to look into that before you start investing in such companies, particularly if governance is a major issue for you when it comes to socially responsible investing. Now, is a company going to pass every test? No. Uh, a company you know, may not pass every single test, nor is it possible to in most circumstances. So it's important to vet out the most important issues an investor wants before investing in that business. So that's a criteria that you can use. If you're really passionate about environment, you can use the environmental factors. If you're passionate about social criteria, you can use the social factors. Or if you're passionate about accounting and governance factors or political factors, you can look at the governance criteria. 
So using the ESG criteria, investors can screen companies based on their risk factors. Some notably, um, you know, companies in the last sort of, you know, 10 to 20 years, which would have clearly failed ESG criteria include um, BP. You know, the oil spill in 2010 was an unmitigated disaster, which contributed a huge environmental pollution and um, was, was uh, you know, probably contributed, you know, tens or even 50, 100 years worth of damage um, when they had that massive oil spill uh, just outside the coast, I think, of United States. Um, the other one is Volkswagen, which was the world's biggest car manufacturer, the emissions scandal, where they purposely changed um, the um, emissions generated by the um, by the diesel cars. We call it Dieselgate. Um, you know that was in 2015, so that was a massive scandal where they purposely stuffed it up uh, and tried to deceive. Um, I think it was the um, uh, the uh, uh, Environmental Protection Agency and also the regulatory bodies in the United States that actually uh, whistleblowed that Volkswagen was actually creating cars which were, you know, 10 times as more pollution generating as what they had claimed, which is just a crazy number. Uh, and at the time, Volkswagen was a very, very popular company as well. And diesel was very popular in Australia because it's very, very, you know, meant to be fuel efficient, but was not environmentally friendly. So Volkswagen was a was a very very prominent in the last sort of ten years of um, of not really suitable for ESG criteria. Now, more recently, we've heard about companies like Facebook, um, which uh, you know have ongoing issues with um, dissemination of non-truths. Now, there's a classic case of free speech versus true speech. Whose truth is it? Um, you know, Mark Zuckerberg famously said that. Facebook is not in the business of policing what is actually being said on Facebook, um, where people can say whatever they want, even if it's you know wildly untrue. Um, so these are all some of the things that you might want to consider uh, before uh, investing in companies, and, and and these are probably the three of the most famous cases in the last sort of you know ten to twenty years, which have come to light when it comes to companies which have uh, you know would have failed the ESG criteria. So I guess if you're looking for companies to um, invest in and you want to be companies that are socially responsible, where can you find it? Well, in Australia, we actually have an association called Responsible Investment Association of Australasia, which is a good start if you're interested in this topic. So you might want to just Google them. So it's Responsible Investment Association of Australasia. Uh, you can go to their website and search for companies who are RI certified. Um, and within that website, you can actually find financial advisors and planners who've also been RI certified. So they're specialists who are financial advisors and brokers who specialize in socially responsible investing. So I thought that was actually quite good. I didn't know that was actually a massive society. So, you know, I actually checked up on some of the, you know, companies that I do business with. One of them is my superannuation, which is Hester, which is listed as a RI company, which is nice and pleasing to know. Um, so if you're really interested, just, um, you know, go up there and, and, and have a look at companies that you do business with to see if those companies are actually RI listed. And also look for companies that you want to invest in and see if they are listed as well. Uh, they actually go into very, very detailed criteria about how they go about selecting such companies. Now, that's socially responsible investing. That is SRI, and hopefully that clarifies it. What about 
ethical investing? Well, the main difference is that socially responsible investing has a broad set of guidelines to follow, whereas ethical investing is more aligned with an individual's worldview and personal ethics. It's much more personalized. And again, there's no guarantee of performance, very similar to SRI. Now, ethical investors typically avoid investing in companies associated with sin activities, in quotations, I say that. So, sin activities, in quotation is, you know, things like smoking, uh, more recently cannabis, um, alcohol, gambling, war and firearms. So these are all considered sin activities by some people. Um, and, you know, those people may not want to do business or invest in companies um, that have uh, activities or services in these domains. Now, ethical investing can also have religious beliefs. Um, so, for example, the well-known um, sort of uh, Islamic banking system, which basically shuns investments in alcohol, gambling, pork, and investments are not allowed to earn or charge any interest, nor have any late payments, which is very interesting. So their banking system is not allowed to charge you interest and is not allowed to have any late payments. So I think the Australian four banks would just have a heart attack if they found out they had to abide by those rules, which is interesting. So that is ethical investing in general. Apart from that, you know, just, just, just to reiterate the broad differences, socially responsible investing has a broad set of guidelines to follow uh, using the ESG criteria. Ethical investing is more aligned with an individual's worldview and personal ethics. The two are used synonymously and often used interchangeably. Technically, they're very different concepts. That's probably the biggest take-home point from this podcast episode. So... What about me? Do I practice socially responsible investing? Well, technically, no. I invest in the ASX 300 Vanguard Index. Does that make me a bad person? Possibly, in some people's views. Um, you know, I try and be as socially responsible as possible and as ethical as possible. One of the tricky elements um, of SRI or ethical investing that I found is that what's socially responsible or ethical for one person can be completely the opposite for another person. So therefore, it can be quite subjective. Now, although there are some broad guidelines, as we talked about before, um, they can be open to interpretation. So there are some core values that I subscribe to. Um, I'm a very boring person. I don't smoke. I don't drink. Um, I, I certainly think climate change is real. Um, so my personal activities are based on such ethical personal principles. But I don't base my investing using these principles. And perhaps I should, uh, but this is something I need to learn more about. So essentially the way that I look at it is that the returns and the benefits and the profits and the dividends uh, and the wealth that I have created or will create in the future, hopefully that can be used for the benefit of society in general, as opposed to try and pick out companies that, I guess, are more socially responsible. So, because I just find that it would be quite difficult, and uh, I'm a passive investor, so personally, it would be quite difficult for me to do, to physically try and identify such companies. But as a broad set of principles, I generally agree that I think socially responsible investing and ethical investing have some great elements to them. And um, hopefully this, this episode has highlighted the differences and similarities in those. 
And I think personally using the ESG criteria is an excellent way to analyse a company's socially responsible status. More notably, for example, recently Nespresso, the company which makes coffee pods, has admitted to sourcing coffee from farms in Guatemala, which uses child labour. So this came to light this year. So many listeners are probably used to drinking Nespresso coffee. I've had Nespresso coffee before. I don't regularly drink Nespresso coffee. Um, And most listeners probably didn't know that Nespresso had um, a bit of a story about using child labour to pick out their coffee from Guatemalan farms. So, you know, this may or may not affect your habits of buying Nespresso coffee based on your ethical beliefs, but certainly I've stopped drinking Nespresso because of it. Um, and, And I do remember drinking Nespresso prior to that. I just was actually quite shocked. So, That's about it for this episode. Thanks for listening and thank you and shout out to James and Gil for suggesting this topic. Now, remember, if you're new to this, remember to like the DevRagav personal finance page. Um, Make sure you shout out questions and comments or topic suggestions via Facebook, which is where most of the people contact me through. Uh, Now, also share this channel with family and friends. The podcast is available on castbox.fm app. Um, Spotify, Google Podcast, or directly via devraga.com. There's also other podcasts um, that's available from Breaker.audio, etc. Uh, and remember, always, always, always pay yourself first. Take 20% of your after-tax income and put it aside. And learn about the businesses that you interact with um, if you're really focused on SRI or ethical investing. It's a great opportunity to learn about these concepts And have a look at that website, Responsible Investing uh, Association of Australasia, uh, and put in the companies that you deal with or want to deal with and see if they fit the criteria for RI. Now, this is Devraga Personal Finance, episode 74. And as always, make sure you stay safe. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.